Have you ever thought about sports from a sociological perspective? Probably not, as I, I didn't think about it until I took a course in college entitled Sociology of Sport. This class completely challenged me as an athlete, and at, at times it made me even resent the professor because of what he was saying about the sports that I love to watch and to play. But as I've grown in my faith and I, I've seen things go on within the sports world that pretty much prove the professor right, it helped me understand why he laid out the claims that he did. That's why I invited him on the podcast. <laughs> Dr. Matthew Voss, professor of sociology at Covenant College, comes on today to talk about what it means to look at sports from a different lens and what we can learn from the sociology world and apply it to sports. I do want to disclaim something before we start the show, too. When I first took the course and heard his claims, I thought he hated sports, as I know a lot of other athletes did or thought that, but he doesn't. I, I can tell you that he wants to reform sports in some ways, and you can stick around to hear more about that, but I would encourage you while you're listening to think deeply about where the conversation goes and understand that sports and the people within them are broken and fallen like everything else in this world. That's why our only option should be to turn to Jesus as our idol and our God, not the false idols that sports and anything else can bring. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and today our guest is Dr. Matthew Voss, Professor of Sociology and Department Chair at my alma mater, Covenant College. Dr. Voss, thank you for joining me today. It really does mean a lot. You're welcome. It means a lot to me, too. Now, for, for the people listening out there, you may be wondering if you tuned in to the wrong podcast because I have a sociology professor on today, but there's a reason for that. Dr. Voss teaches a class called Sociology of Sport at Covenant, and Dr. Voss, this class really made me, I mean, question, it made me think about everything that I knew about sports. So I do want to begin by asking, what are your thoughts on sports as a whole? Because there's so many things that go on within sports that can be both positive and negative. So what are your thoughts there? Well, even starting just with the idea of having a sociology of sport class, um, you've taken the course and what the course does is it often, uh, I have a lot of athletes in it, it's required in our sport management uh, major. And I think the class often makes people mad. I think I'm getting a little better at not making people mad, but it makes them mad because here's this, you know, professor um, saying things in some senses that can be taken as negative. They're not intended that way, but it makes us look a little more deeply at sports, perhaps at some things that are uncomfortable, you know, violence, for example. And I think we're experiencing it, that with a uh, football player with heart failure this weekend. It makes us think a little bit more about violence. And sociologists have been talking about this sort of stuff for years. So my main thought, you may remember this from the class, about sports and society is that I, what I'm fond of saying is sports are us. You know, the store toys are us. Sports are us. What your society is about how it thinks about anything, gender, race, money, power, hierarchy, the poor, that will be reflected in sports. We like to think, wow, we're pouring into sports and sports will change society. But that's hard to do because 
I think in a more profound sense, sports are a reflection of the society that we're in. And so it's no surprise that football is our biggest sport. That kind of sort of power, even male dominance and so forth, is the closest to sort of what we seem to believe as a society. Um, I guess that, you know, at a real basic level is one of my main observations is that you could, you know, if you were an alien landing on this planet and you wanted to know what is our society about, you wouldn't actually go to church. You wouldn't actually go to school. You'd go to a football game or something like that. And that has good things and bad things about it. Yeah, absolutely. And how, as a sociologist, how do you take a sociological, sociological perspective to sports? Well, um, of course, sociology, I mean, one of the things we deal with a lot comes in sort of three different areas, but it's stratification, right? There are people sort of on top, in the middle, on the bottom, those sorts of things. The Bible, of course, says a lot about stratification. It doesn't say, hey, walk over the poor to get where you need to go. It says, pay special attention to the poor. They're the people I stand with quite, you know, quite a bit. Um, quite a bit, that sounds bad. You know, they're the people that I, that, I, that I stand with and want you to care for and think about as neighbors. And so when we're thinking about sort of sociology of sport, we can look at stratification, for example, right? And we can look at it in the area of gender. Uh, do men have more resources than women? If so, why? And if so, should that be changed? And should we work toward change or not? Um, we can look at social class, right? We can look at social class in terms of who's on top and who's on the bottom. And we can think about what that means. Uh, one of the things I've talked about quite a bit in my class in recent years is just how much public sales tax money flows into the building of new pro sports stadiums. The most, one of the most egregious examples is the Indianapolis Colts. You know, I think more than half a billion dollars of tax money that, you know, a lot of it goes into the pockets of billionaire owners. Okay, there's a lot to talk about with that. But what does that mean that poor people who, you know, spend money on sales tax, pay into those things, but can't play or in those places or use them? So that's Class, and then I guess the other thing is gender. Uh, you might remember a few years ago I did an article called The Super Bowl uh, Prizes and Consumables, The Super Bowl as a Theology of Women. So to look at any sporting event that's, that's big, especially big sport, and to say, well, what are, we, what are we, say, teaching my son, my daughters, with respect to gender? And is this, for Christians, is this how things should be, and does it matter? So... Stratification is one thing. Um, culture is another thing. Culture has to do with the meanings in any society. So, you know, you contact me and you do a podcast with me. I'm like, yes, if anybody wants to listen to me talk, I'll talk. And the reason you can um, converse with me and understand me is not just because we understand the mechanics of language, but we share meanings. You know, when I say the Super Bowl or the World Cup or, you know, a big stadium, we understand what that means in our culture. And so we want to look at the meanings of things. Um, here's an example. Most coaches that I hear, even, even Christian coaches after, well, especially Christian coaches, after, say, talking to, say, the covenant faculty or something, then they will um, sign off by saying, oh, we come to win. We come to win. And the sociologist says, well, what is it about winning that holds so much meaning for us? And I was first pushed to think about, because we'll trample people to win, 
But also pushing ourselves to win can be really good because it can make us sort of go beyond like our regular everyday lazy efforts to to reach some heights that really can be inspiring. So there's there's things that can be negative and things can be positive. But what is it that's so important about winning that even in high school it can cause previous friends to dislike each other if someone doesn't help out with winning? Um, but that's culture. So sociology, you know, addresses and deals with that. And I'm always pushing both myself and my students to think, well, what is the meaning of, of winning, say, in our culture? But then what is the spiritual meaning of winning? What spiritual place is that kind of fulfilling in us? And I think it's hard to think about those things. I think it really pushes us. Um, I don't know if I used this book when you took my class, but Cheryl Hoffman's book, he's a kinesiologist, retired. I, I think he's great. It's called Good Game, Christianity, and the Culture of Sports. He says, you know, we have this kind of odd paradox that we really, you know, as Christians, we really value winning, say, in sports, yet we're in a religion where we're called to lose, to give up to the other, etc. What does that mean? How do we deal with that? So I guess to wrap up you know, your question here, for me, I think I used to just tick people off in my class a lot more than I do now. Now, I don't know. Maybe I still do. I take a bit of a perverse delight in it. Um, because here is this guy, and he's talking about race and problems, and I'm raising questions of, you know, well, what about violence? What does the Bible say about it? And, you know, and there's, you know, has this sort of a downer effect. Fact. But more recently, I've tried to use the approach of saying, okay, we have these things. You know, there's going to be a certain amount of violence in football. There's probably going to be some injuries. As Christians, we can't just be all in, like do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter if you ruin that guy's knee. On the other hand, we aren't going to be people who just do nothing. We don't play football. We don't play soccer. We don't do... So how do we hold those things in tension? And I love that. I think that gives students who might be reacting to like, why is this guy complaining about sport in this class? I think it might give them a little more space to, to feel like they can grapple with that question rather than rejecting it. And I think it also pushes someone like me, who's all in sociology, because this is what I do, um, a little more of a space to say, what is this like from a student's perspective? How can we enjoy sort of some of these thrills of competition without being all in? You know, without just being super fans, like what I used to take students back when the student tickets were way cheaper to, um, we'd get a tour bus, it was great, and, uh, and a driver, and we'd go to the Nashville Predators game. Did you go to that? No, I didn't. I wish I did. That was the year we were supposed to, and then uh, COVID-19 happened. Yeah, and the Predators yeah. got good in the meantime, and yeah. they, um, the, the tickets literally went from like 20 bucks for a pro ticket up in the nosebleed seats. But it was great because a lot of, I grew up in Canada, but a lot of Southern students hadn't seen a hockey game before. And, you know, we'd go down there. But one time, um, one time we were down there and I think it was the Predators playing the St. Louis Blues. And a St. Louis Blues player got knocked down so hard, um, you know, behind one of the goals. And he just lay there for a long time. And they worked on him and they finally got him up and kind of limped him off. And the whole section where we were, not my students, of course, booed. They booed that a man that was hurt wasn't hurt worse and could get up. They booed. And, I, you know, for me, that, that has a lot of spiritual meaning. What's our theology of the body? How does a theology of the body, um, you know, factor into sports and so forth? Mm. If, I'm, if I'm looking back at that class, I think that was the first turning point 
in my view of sports where I would go to a game, I would go to a practice, and I would, I don't want to say study the people, but there's a lot to unpack within a sporting event. I mean, you get the fans that act so crazy. You have fans act the officials, at the coaches, at the players. Like, there's so much to unpack there. But you brought up to me the the World Cup because, you know, we're in recent times. We just got to finish with that. There, I mean, have been reports that over thousands and thousands of people, of immigrant workers that came to work on that stadium have passed away tragically. How do you balance the the fascination and the the love for, I mean, a sport like soccer? How do you balance that with such a tragedy that took place within the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, that's a question I grapple with a lot. Last year, I grappled with it. Um, with, uh, you know, SoFi Stadium, they quite literally, there's articles, they push the poor out of the way so the, mm. you know, I forget what it was, $10,000 a seat average ticket price holders could get into the stadium. Um, and, you know, you have that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, I read one estimate, you know, even if it was half this, it's too many, that, you know, said it was like over 6,000, you know, migrant workers got killed. And I, as I've sort of let that unfold in my mind over Christmas break and so forth, it's really hard to think about. I find myself like, what if we change it this? 6,000 Christians were killed in the building of that stadium. Would we kind of be as okay with it or would there be sort of outrage? And because I wonder if that many people are killed and it's sort of like, oh, that's bad. Okay, who's winning? What's the score? Who's dominant? What player just did something incredible? Again, we can hold things in tension, but I, I also start to ask myself, is there anything that could happen in big sport that would cause us to say, we just can't do this anymore. Absolutely. Like the the player that you mentioned, the Buffalo Bills player, that that he literally collapsed on the field. That was the first time ever that I saw in sports where the game just stopped. They didn't want to restart it. They're not going to resume it. And that was the first time where it seemed like humanity prevailed over the sport it wasn't about the score it was about a human life yeah and then the question for me is I think that's great I've been following that a little bit but then I also think would we ever stop and pay as much attention or did we to all of the migrants that were you know killed or deprived wages or whatever because migrants and and you know strangers people you know who have a hard time making on the margins they're, they're right at the center of the biblical narrative from start to finish. And if we're like, okay, oh, that's bad, on with our fun. Now I get it. We could also do nothing in the world at all because there is enough strain and problems. When could we ever, uh. But at the same time, I really would like to, to see, I mean, Christians aren't a unified group, but it'd be great to have at least a more unified sort of response to what this means and what should be done. Because you're right, you said it, um, this kind of stuff happens kind of every year and every year it's like, okay, and there's gonna be a fun set up for their family, there's gonna be this, there's gonna be that. But in the end, it's so much deeper than that. It has to do with the culture in which sports exists. Um, you know, for example, you probably remember from my class, cause um, I do this every year, but we talk about women's gymnastics and figure skating in the Olympics. And it's, I think the highest, you know, sexual, abuse sport you know it's had a lot of um problems with underage you know skaters and athletes they delay puberty it has effects for their whole life on the you know brittleness of their bones and so forth 
but we just cheer. No, we cheer because we don't know about it. And once you know about it, you sort of go, ugh, ugh. So I don't know. Th those are really hard questions, but they're really important questions for Christians um, as well. There's a lot of stuff that we don't do, but maybe there's some other stuff that we should at least have a little more hesitation about. Hmm. Yeah. Within the sphere of sociology of sport, I mean, it's huge. There's so much, so many topics to talk about, and you've touched on some of them already. But I wanted to focus on today three specific areas, th those being youth athletics, the bad side of competition, and the saying sports build character, because there's a lot to unpack there. But from a Christian perspective, what are the negative and positive things about competition? Okay, one, and I got this from that same book, Good Game, Christianity, and the Culture of Sports, but it's profoundly influenced me. Cheryl Hoffman, um, it's a strange name. I think it's James Cheryl Hoffman or Cheryl James Hoffman. It sounds like a woman's name, but he's a, he's a retired kinesiologist. He, um, he says that at the end of the game, um, sports done in a Christian way, whatever that is, should decrease the amount of social distance. In other words, when we Christians encounter people, if we are further apart, we hate them a little more, they're a little more the enemy, we are have a little bit more of a in-your-face attitude, or we like them a little less, then it's something I think that he says we should at least be fairly hesitant about. I mean, Christianity is an evangelical religion, and we add all kinds of stuff to sports, like sports evangelism and this and that, but I've also seen a lot of times where sports increases social distance. I've seen it, like I remember even when my daughter was playing middle school basketball a long, long time ago, she's 21 now, and you'd be a parent sort of sitting in the stand and you can feel it rising up in you when your kid doesn't get to play. And why does that kid get to play? You find yourself mentally criticizing some 11-year-old girl. And you think, oh my word, who am I? I've seen parents, I've been at softball games where parents were yelling at some poor little girl on a pitcher's mound, you know, like, we want to see a birth certificate because they were convinced that she was older than, you know. And you sort of think, you're yelling at a girl at a pretty pivotal point in her life. And that decreases the social distance. So when sports have the effect of, of making the social bond you know, making it an us and them, uh, I think we have to be really, really careful. When sports have the effect and you see some glorious stuff in sports, um, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the example of football player, uh, you know, who, who was just injured the other day is a good example where things just stop and you say, boy, at the end of the day, this is something we've got to stop and recognize and think about. That's good. That increases you know, a kind of bond. Now, one really good thing about sport is we're in a pluralistic society. So it means we're not all Christians. We're not all one racial group. We're all kinds of different social classes that mix in all kinds of ways. And there's actually very little that can bond us together. It's a weak basis for a bond, but sport does provide at least some commonality. So even those little like, oh, did you see that game? Um, those little things help us to have at least some sense of being a group here. They can help a school to have school spirit. Same time, the school has to be very careful that, you know, if you're cheating to achieve school spirit or if you're hating the other team, 
I don't mean friendly rivalries. It's kind of funny when Tennessee fans hate Alabama fans and vice versa. A lot of times those are pretty innocuous. And those can be good in-group things. They can turn into ugly in-group, out-group things too. So I guess that's my basic comment is if it pushes us to see the other more as an enemy, more and to dehumanize them in some ways, that's when it can become uh, problematic. I want to go back to the example that you you brought up with the 11 or 12 year old girl softball player that was getting yelled at by parents and uh, grown adults. How, how can we, I don't want to say change youth athletics, but there is a need for a reform of some kind. How can we see those harms that youth athletics, that parents can do in youth athletics and try to, I don't know, shift our gaze when thinking about them? Oh, uh, I mean, that's a great area to think about. Um, One of the things that I've learned in teaching the sociology of sport class is that how we are, there's been changes in family life over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Um, An example, my wife, Joan, played, I guess, some sort of varsity basketball in ninth or 10th grade at her public high school in Northwest Indiana. And she told me that her dad came to one of her games maybe once or twice, but not to practices. Um, And that's not very much. But we've gone the other way where, you know, because he'll be like, well, I'm working and I'm tired and I don't just sort of go and sit in youth basketball games at night. And that was sort of more the worldview then, I guess, the approach to parenting and his providing, you know, blue collar, worked at Ford Motor Company, would have been seen as a good thing. He's doing what dads should do. But we've reached this point where a sign of whether you're a good parent is if you're helping your child um, pursue their dreams. And I've asked this in my class. Should we be going all out, spending all our money, spending all our extra time so that my kids can pursue their dreams? And if so, is that is pursuing your dreams a biblical virtue? Does it teach you to pour out rather than fill up? There's a tension there too, right? Because Never doing stuff with your kids is not good and always being there. But what I'm working up to is in the kinds of societies that we live in, the kind of parent you are, whether you're a good parent, good parents are the ones who may really support their kids, be at every practice, every game. So here's my idea. And you can tell me what you think about it because you probably have a better opinion than mine. I, I think parents should go to less of their kids' sports. Some should go more. But I think it's a lot of pressure on a coach and on a kid if a parent is always there mapping every single move. Frankly, it's gotten worse with it. I used to really be on the side with, uh, of, um, you know, with the old NCAA rules about um, college players being able to take you know, money for their likeness and image and those sorts of things. You know, those rules have changed. But then my wife's at a high school and I've watched how now it's even more that parents are watching the coaches and sort of coaching from the sidelines and commenting everything because now they could see a coach is interfering with their, say, son, their, you know, their football playing son's future livelihood. And so it's sort of like, ah, so I, I sort of think, oh, it's really good to go to their games, the odd practice, but, and I don't mean to offend anybody, to always be there and be camcording every moment and stuff. I think that makes it very hard for the kid to learn to grow up and do their own thing. Um, I guess when I was, when I was young, um, you know, I was in high school in the 80s, 
there was a little more a sense of take your licks. You know, the coach or the teacher is always right. There's problems with that too. Coaches and teachers can do egregious things. But there's also problems with the coach and the teacher are never right. And we're always there to argue you out of it or to intervene. It's really good to have to, you know, to, to realize sometimes things aren't going to go your way. Sometimes they are. But we end up with so much riding on this. And there's so much parent ego that I just think it's really healthy. Maybe an example, um, a parallel example is my kids are 21 and let's see, I have a 21-year-old daughter, I have a just barely 18-year-old daughter and have a 16-year-old son. And COVID was hitting right when like our daughter was in driver's ed and stuff. It is horrible for parents to try to teach their kids how to drive. Because you're like, slow down, you're gonna kill us all. You know, like you're taking this curve too fast. Dad, I'm going 19, you know. And um, <laughs> it's very hard, it's a lot better for, you know, we couldn't during COVID. So it's a lot better to just say, hey, driver's ed teacher, Teach my kid. <laughs> Try not to let them kill you in the process, or you them. And um, because I think, you know, looking back, I think, how do I not flinch when my I think my daughter's going to crack up our car or my son's going to, like, back into something? And at the same time, how can they possibly learn to do it with kind of a fluidity and an ease and not being overanxious? If I'm sitting there, you know, making comments and every move is scrutinized. So, you know, it's a parallel example. I think. No. Yeah. You see the rise of helicopter parenting now. And for, I mean, for those listening that, that don't, that don't know what helicopter parenting is, it's essentially having parents that literally are hovering over you for your entire life and in, in sports I mean, without sports, whatever. But I absolutely agree. Like, I don't think that parents should be, I, I don't want to say at every practice, but I, I don't want them to be so involved and the coach doesn't have any authority over children. Yes, and you brought up a good point. Children and parents are wrong. The coaches and parents are fallen, of course. But if your kid never learns how to fail, that's not going to set them up for success in life. And I, I think it, it goes back to this next question, do sports build character? And what would you say to that? Because there's a lot to unpack there too. That's a great question. Everything builds character and nothing builds character. Mm. Um, it all has to do, I mean, it's a great question. We, we grapple with this some too, um, and you may remember some of it. In a sense, just being in sports, sports by itself can, can build the opposite of what we like to call character. Uh, we first have to actually say, what is character, you know, and what is Christian character? Christian character usually has to come back to the idea of pouring out, not filling up. Um, eliminating pride from your life, caring deeply about the other, doing your best, but not just for your own sake. So first of all, we have to have a definition of what character is, and that can get kind of flawed. Because when we, you know, for example, we say, he's got a lot of character. And we might have said that about someone, like here's an example, Carrie Scruggs in the, what was it? The Olympics way back when, she was the young athlete. I think she just turned 18 or maybe was even still a child, I can't remember. But she has a broken foot and the gold medal for the U.S. is sort of riding on it. And, you know, the crowd wants her to do it, but it's her decision. But is it her decision? And then she does a vault and lands that vault. She does this on a broken foot. Now, if you're an elementary school teacher and you push a kid to go play in the playground, you know, on the monkey bars and to jump off on a broken foot, 
you'll usually be picked up by some form of social services. But when you have an entire nation riding on the small shoulders of a very small gymnast, it's hard to say I'm not going to do that and then be, you know, persona non grata for the rest of your life. At the same time, is that character or was that a failure of character on the part of coaches, Olympic organization and so forth? It's glorious. But what does it mean? So with that said, what I've learned from some of the reading I've done is that sports can be tremendously character building, can still all kinds of stuff. Um, but it has so much to do with the character of what goes on in sports. And that has so much to do with coaches. I, I do a sportography, an autobiography of sport, you might remember, that I have students do at the beginning of my course. And over the years, I've had uh, female lacrosse players write about how they had high school coaches who instructed them how to break the fingers of opposing players. And you think, well, that's probably not very common, but someone wrote about this. Um, so does that build character? It doesn't. Um, on the other hand, I have people who talk about a coach, you know, and they were just sort of headed in the wrong direction and a coach took an interest in them and it just completely changed the direction and tone of their life. And if they hadn't had sports, who knows what would have happened? And that does build character. Um, you know, you can be in sports and you can learn to get away and milk the system in terms of cheating, uh, you know, academically. Or you can have coaches like at Covenant where I teach and where you went, we've got some really good ones who, um, you know, if anything happens with a student athlete, and I don't find it happens all that much, but, you know, we can contact see the baseball coach and they're so receptive and it kind of the whole thing has, generally speaking, kind of a redemptive feel to it. That builds character. Not that you're never going to do anything wrong, but that, you know, there, there's some way of, um, of, you know, continually re-steering people and helping them to, to make good choices. I mean, sport is full of, you know, things that can teach you to be long-suffering. If you're long-suffering just for your own glory, it's rather empty in the long run. But that has so many applications to life as well. And so, you know, holding these things in tension. So, yes, I think sports can build character. And I think sports can also take quite a bit away from character. I mean, one of the concerns that I have when I look at um, the big revenue producing, say, football programs, and probably basketball too, in you know, D1 schools, is that sometimes there's very little space for some of those players who are 18, 19 years old to be human, to feel a little off, to need some help, to need some time, because it's almost like they're expected to be professional athletes, you know, working in some sort of sports franchise. And I think when you don't have, you know, adults who can come in and say, okay, I'm a coach, but I'm first and foremost an educator here. And what is most needed is something to do with you. Um, so any kind of shaming of athletes, I think, teaches you you know, things that aren't character building, they're discouraging. See, I, as much as I've had athletes with glorious, glorious, wonderful experiences, I've also had a lot who when they got out of high school athletics, it was such a relief because they didn't have to put up with people belittling and yelling at them and, um, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it so really can go both ways. Exactly. And I, I think, I, I don't know if it was you in your class or something else that I heard, 
I specifically, specifically remember this quote. It says, good character builds good character and bad character builds bad character. So I, that's, I mean, that's kind of the balance there. And if you have coaches or parents or officials or fans with good character, that's going to help the players build good characters, especially in youth athletics. Last question I did have for you. Sports can be divisive as much as they are unifying. And I think we've talked about that a lot today. How can we we relate the love that Christ has for us to the sports that we love as athletes and fans? Because those are obviously the love of God that that God has for us is completely different than the love that we have for sports. But how do we balance that? Um, in one other book that I, I'm not using it right now, it's a smaller book called Touchdowns for Jesus and Other Forms of Apocalypse. We always think apocalypse means like disaster, you know, world-ending stuff. But it actually means a change to something new, you know, kind of like a, a rebirth. So apocalyptic, you know, uh, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic in nature. It's pointing to something new. Where I was going to that was that she says that when you go to like a game and it's, you know, it's, you know, it's really tense or something, whether it's pro or small, and you see people just on the edge of their seats and they're either all out angry or all out joyful, you realize just how, how much sports actually reveals something about us. The guy who's at, you know, some, um, some game, you know, some playoffs game, sitting in the stands on his third beer that hour and is just angry and swearing and yelling. She says, it's not just that we should tell them to shut up and, you know, this is in front of the kids. But actually, Christians should realize at right at the center of that is some kind of spiritual need, you know, because sports can be this world where in the midst of the dullness of a lot of our lives and the sense of not knowing where we're going or what's going to happen to us or a murky economy or whatever it is, sports offers this everything can work out and we can have that glorious moment. So when it doesn't, Ah, that hole is still there. Now, sports isn't going to really fill that hole, but it can help us, she says, to understand something about what's missing a little bit in our lives. And so there's that. But then at a practical level, I remember, again, I'm borrowing all this stuff from Cheryl Hoffman. He's like my patron saint here of sociology of sport. But I remember he he was talking about violence and injury in sport, and he said in a big, it's a long book, it had a big historical section. He said that college teams, um, you know, the visiting team, they used to do things like organize steak fries between the two teams, where the two teams could have sort of like a, you know, steak fry or a picnic the day before, something like that. And they get to know each other a little bit and have a good time. And he said they gradually quit doing that as competition got fiercer because the players were having a hard time maintaining the killer instinct. When you know that you're playing against a guy and his mom has cancer and, you know, really, you know, she's really hoping he does want his game and it makes you less likely to really hit him hard or something like that. And so he said that this can be a problem because we have to have strategies to maintain. I have to think of them as the enemy. And even all our images, we go to battle the enemy. Um all that kind of stuff. Even like when I show, I'll show a few jacked up videos in, you know, those jacked up, you know, hardest hits in football sort of videos they sometimes show on ESPN and stuff. I'll show those and it's just, they're fun to watch, but it's like a bloodlust, you know? And it isn't me too, you know, like, oh, oh, oh. And you're realizing, ugh, hits that hard sometimes eliminate someone's ability 
to be a father after they're discovered to have CTE at age 40 and fly into inexplicable fits of rage. So it does seem that we have to cultivate some kind of ability to, in sociology we call it otherization, to not otherize the other, to see them as this human being. And I guess theologically, part of that is related to a theology of the body. What can we do with our bodies? Um, I'll push my students, I'll say, you know, if the body, if we're made in the image of God and we, we love to say the body is a temple, does scripture hold out no standards for how we are to treat another's body? And sometimes we'll say, well, it's within the rules of the game. And I'll say, yeah, I know. But do Christians just play by whatever rules of the game are there? Because you could use that in any area of life. You could use that in business. Sometimes the rules of the game are set up where the rich can cheat the poor. But we can't do that. So again, holding it in tension, and it's, it, it's very difficult. But I think something to reduce that social distance. And again, maybe little thing. well, it's a big thing, but the, you know, the, um, the heart failure with the football player just the other day, you start seeing you know, people from the other team who have this sort of support. That's the kind of thing that needs to probably not be the exception, but needs to be more the rule in some way. Yeah, in seeing the other player, your competition as, first of all, a human and a child of God, it just it will change your whole mindset when it comes to sports. But, Doctor Voss, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I think every time I hear you, every time I hear you speak, I just get something else. And you know, taking sports specifically from a, sociolo- a sociological perspective, it just kind of shifts your gaze a little bit. So, thank you again. Well, thank you. Hey, you know what we should do? I should maybe have you come into my class and do a podcast in my class with my students. It'd be kind of yes. fun. So thank you. Really wonderful to see you. I really appreciate you asking me. This was great fun. Thanks much. All right. Well, for all the listeners out there, please share this episode, leave a rating, and follow us on social media at Competing for Christ Podcast. If you don't get anything else from this, just remember this. Jesus loves you, and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.